All right, we're back. Week two startup essays. Hello. What's our intro now? Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll play the guitar and <laughs> so just nod my head in approval. Yeah, well, that's what they do in FRU. They get um, listener. I'm going to take these out. Uh, you get listener like intros. Like they make oh, an intro like and an outro. After enough viewers, the listeners provide an intro or are we like well they already had like a big viewer base on um like college humor so then mm. people just like they started from above either. zero yeah <laughs> they started like, from above zero. i don't even think we have two listeners yet you and me included because we just did a quick audio check well i wouldn't even count myself as a listener i haven't listened so i'm yeah. definitely not well you haven't listened to it no i oh. forgot well shit because i know it's awesome it's great <laughs> um okay cool so we are going to be talking about the Paul Graham essay, uh, A Unified Theory of VC Suckage. Sean read last time, so I'm going to be reading this time. You can find this on uh, Paul Graham's website, uh, paulgram.com slash venture capital. Uh, all right, cool. So he wrote this in 2005. We're going to go over it real quick. Um, it's about 10 minutes. Then uh, reflect on it. All right. A couple of months ago, I got an email from a recruiter asking if I was interested in being a, quote, technologist in residence at a new venture capital fund. I think the idea was to play Carl Rove to VC's George Bush. I considered it for about four seconds. Work for a visa, uh, work for a VC fund? Ick. <laughs> One of my most vivid memories from our startup is going to visit Greylock, the famous Boston VCs. They were the most arrogant people I've met in my life, and I've met a lot of arrogant people. And he has a reference there. I'm not alone in feeling this way, of course. Even a VC friend of mine dislikes VCs. Quote, assholes, he says. But lately, I've been learning more about the, how the VC world works. And a few days ago, it hit me that there's a reason VCs are the way they are. It's not so much that the business attracts jerks, or that even the power they wield corrupts them. The real problem is the way they are paid. The problem with the VC funds is that they are funds. Like the managers of mutual funds or hedge funds, VCs get paid a percentage of the money they manage, about 2% a year in management fees, plus a percentage of the gains. So they want that fund to be huge, hundreds of millions of dollars if possible. But that means each partner ends up being responsible for investing a lot of money. And since one person can only manage so many deals, each deal has to be for multiple millions of dollars. <sighs> this turns out to explain nearly all of the characteristics of VCs that founders hate. It explains why VCs take so agonizingly long to make up their minds and why their due diligence feels like a body cavity search. With so much at stake, they have to be paranoid. It explains why they steal your ideas. Every founder knows that VCs will tell you their secrets to their competitors if they end up investing in them. It's not unheard of for VCs to meet you when they have no intention of funding you, just to pick your brain for a competitor. This prospect makes naive founders clumsily secretive. Experienced founders treat it as a cost of doing business. Either way, it sucks. But again, the only reason VCs are so sneaky is the giant deals they do. With so much at stake, they have to be devious. It explains why VCs tend to interfere in the companies they invest in. They want to be on your board. 
not just so that they can advise you, but so that they can watch you. Often, they even install a new CEO. Yes, he may have extensive business experience, but he's also their man. These newly installed CEOs always play something of a role of a political commissar in a Red Army unit. With so much at stake, VCs can't resist micromanaging you. The huge investments themselves are something founders would dislike if they realized how damaging they can be. VCs don't want to invest X million because that's the amount you need, but because that's the amount the structure of their business requires them to invest, like steroids. These sudden huge investments can do more harm than good. Google survived enormous VC funding because it could legitimately absorb large amounts of money. They had to buy a lot of servers and a lot of bandwidth to crawl the whole web. Less fortunate startups just end up hiring armies of people to sit around having meetings. In principle, you could take a huge VC investment, put it in treasury bills, and continue to operate frugally. You just try it. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, VC giant investments mean giant valuations. They have to. Otherwise, there's not enough stock left to keep the founders interested. You might think a high valuation is a great thing. Many founders do. But you can't eat paper. You can't benefit from a high valuation unless you can somehow achieve what those in the business call a liquidity event. And the higher your valuation, the narrower your options are for doing that. Many founder, many a founder would be happy to sell his company for $15 million. But VCs who've just invested at a pre-money valuation of $8 million won't hear of that. You're rolling the dice again, whether you like it or not. Back in 1997, one of our competitors raised about $20 million in a single round of VC funding. This was, at the time, more than the valuation of our entire company. Was I worried? Not at all. I was delighted. It was like watching a car you're chasing turn down a street that you know has no outlet. <laughs> That's fucked up. Um, their, swat, their smartest move at that point would have been to take every penny of the $20 million and use it to buy us. We would have sold. Their investors would have been furious, of course. But I think the main reason they never considered this was that they never imagined we could be had so cheap. They probably assumed we were on the same VC gravy train that they were. In fact, we only spent about $2 million in our entire existence, and that gave us flexibility. We could sell ourselves to Yahoo for $50 million, and everyone was delighted. If our competitor had done that, the last round of investors would presumably have lost money. I assume they could have vetoed such a deal, but no one those days was paying a lot more than Yahoo. So, unless their founders could pull off an IPO, which would be difficult with Yahoo as a competitor, they had no choice but to ride the thing all the way down. The puffed-up companies that went public during the bubble didn't do it just because they were pulled into it by unscrupulous investment makers. Most were pushed just as hard from the other side by VCs who'd invested at high valuations, leaving an IPO as the only way out. The only people dumber were retail investors. So it was literally IPO or bust, or rather, IPO, then bust, or just bust. Add up all the evidence of VC's behavior, and the resulting personality is not attractive. In fact, it's the classic villain. Alternately cowardly, greedy, sneaky, 
and overbearing. I used to take it for granted that VCs were like this. Complaining that VCs were jerks used to seem as naive to me as complaining that users didn't read the reference manual. Of course, VCs were jerks. How could it be otherwise? But I realize now that they're not intrinsically jerks. VCs are like car salesmen or bureaucrats. The nature of their work turns them into jerks. I've met a few VCs I like. Mike Moritz seems like a good guy. He even has a sense of humor, which is most unheard of among VCs. From what I've read about John Doer, he seems like a good guy, too. Almost a hacker. But they work for the very best VCs funds. And my theory explains why they tend to be different. Just as the very most popular kids don't have to persecute nerds, the very best VCs don't have to act like VCs. They get the pick of all the best deals, so they don't have to be so paranoid and sneaky. And they can choose those rare companies like Google that will actually benefit from the giant sums that they're compelled to invest. VCs often complain that in their business, there's too much money chasing too few deals. Few realize this also describes a flaw in the way funding works at the level of individual firms. Perhaps this was a short strategic insight I was supposed to come up with as a technologist in residence. If so, the good news is that they're getting it for free. <laughs> the bad news is that if you're not one of those very top funds, you're condemned to be the bad guys. So uh, he's got some notes. Uh, so the first reference when he was talking about after Greylock booted found a, uh, founder Philip Greenspun out of Ars Digita, he wrote a hilarious but also very informative essay about it. And there's a link on his website. And then there's another reference. Since most VCs aren't tech guys, technology side of their due diligence tends to be like a body cavity search by someone with faulty knowledge about human anatomy. After a while, we were quite sore from VCs attempting to probe our non-existence database orifice. No, we don't use article. Uh, we don't use article. We just store the data in files. Our secret is to use an OS that doesn't lose our data. Which OS? FreeBSD. Why do you use that instead of Windows NT? Because it's better and it doesn't cost anything. What are you using? What you are using a freeware OS? Oh yeah, what you're using a freeware operating system? How many times that conversation was repeated? Then when we got to Yahoo. We found they used FreeBSD and stored their data in files, too. <laughs> so they ended up in the right spot. Yeah, they got bought off by Yahoo. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is when he was doing um, that first company, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So this was, again, from 2005, so almost 15 years ago now. Um, I think my first takeaway when he starts talking about how VCs are different, talking about how they make money, I think one of the biggest things that people can learn, and founders especially, uh, is that everything that seems extremely important to them um, isn't the case for other people. We've often wondered why somebody doesn't get back to us, why the email goes unanswered, um, why a customer hasn't paid yet, why they haven't signed the agreement. And I think that people often just have other things going on that aren't a, that maybe overtake what you feel like is a priority. So with VCs, they're paid different, right? They have to, they get paid a percentage of their total fund and they you know, only have so much attention. So they want to dump as much money into as few places as possible. Um, but as they're like running around, it's also the case that maybe you're just not a priority because you're one of many startups they're looking at. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's definitely true and probably possible. <clears throat> right, like we dealt with one VC so far, I guess. It's like kind of disappointing. Is that is that at the VC stage or is that at the angel stage? No, I mean he's a VC, this guy. Though. He's big enough. Was a VC. Yeah, he was running a fifty million dollar fund. Right, that was the first. A newly allegedly created fund. Yes, a newly allegedly created <laughs> that fund. he had spent all of it on other companies and not us. Yeah, so I mean, that's enough for to be like it's like a what a micro VC fund or mm-hmm. some bullshit like that. Like yeah, so. But it, he's a self-described family private equity fund or whatever the fuck, right? And old money that we don't understand. <laughs> it's yeah, beyond get, get us. That old, get that old money. Um, but yeah, like, I guess I can see why they're driven to be jerks because they're so sketched out. Actually, as I was reading that, I'm like, oh, man, we kind of like talked to him about our business model. But I'm like, ah, well... He also has no capability to build the tech. Yeah, so like <laughs> I was I was thinking before before you uh, were reading this, I had thought about um, him being in the space, and we had talked to him because he's already in the space that we're trying to get into. Yeah, um, and he knows connections, he knows people, but supposedly, I think supposedly <laughs> everything's allegedly nothing's nothing's real at all. Um, but even talking to him about our tech, we never went into detail. It's not enough to hear about it, right? You have yeah. to be able to implement it. Yeah, at that point, we had nothing. That's the difference. And even even um, Paul Graham is talking about it here. VCs aren't hackers. No. And this particular person is not even a mechanical engineer. so. Or any engineer. Or, I don't know, did he even we, go to college? We don't, we don't know. <laughs> just <It's> okay. <laughs> wealthy and connected. Just, just rich. Just like money for di- generational wealth. Yeah. I mean, do you need a degree when you have generational wealth? Like, <laughs> can you just live that life? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But so sp- I guess I could see that. But like, speaking to him, like, uh, we have to have an open discussion about what we're doing. When you're oh, yeah, talking and we to talked somebody. about this. I think we talked about this when you're like, oh, should we show him our research on, like, doing something? And then I think we were saying, like, yeah, it's like a cost of doing business. Like, He's either going to see it now and invest or not. And yeah. like he could also just do the research himself. Like what we did wasn't like unique. It was like no. like six hours of work. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like it was mostly like, conversations to figure out what was going on. Yeah, and supposedly he's so connected. He could have had yeah. and supposedly had many of those conversations. Yeah, so I guess I guess that's a good takeaway. We've we've been very careful with our IP. We've been like technological IP. Yeah, with our technological IP, like Someone comes over, they're going to sign an NDA maybe. That's like a, you know, an easy protection that you can put in place. Mm-hmm. But when you're discussing business plans, when you haven't been in the space that long, there's no real point in hoarding your ideas because yeah. probably somebody else has had this idea, right? I mean, the one we're working on now, we got from somebody, an incumbent, who'd been in the space for a lot longer than us. Yeah, and now he's working with us. Yeah, pick but our partners. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I think, yeah, speak openly, right? Because kind of like PG says, it's the cost of doing business. But, you know, your business isn't to give away all of your secrets. So do be careful about that. Yeah. I, but I feel like even giving away your secrets is 
maybe it's different in like the programming world where you say like, oh, you know, I use this stack and like this X, Y, Z and like this is the algorithm. They're like, what's that algorithm look like? And you like write this like super fancy equation on the whiteboard and they take a picture of it. Like in uh, Silicon, like in Silicon Valley, Valley. <laughs> yeah. when they go to their competitor and yeah. he's, like trying to figure it out and the guy's like, just yeah, scribbling dude, maybe furiously. Silicon Valley was based off this episode or just like things yeah. in Silicon Valley, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, this recurring theme. Oh, speaking of that, Silicon Valley is not coming back till next year. I don't watch anyway. What? It stresses me out. It's just, like, did you ever watch it? Yeah. <laughs> but now, no. He's too incompetent. And he, like, just struggles the whole time. And it, it stresses me out because I, <laughs> I relate to it a little bit too much. You relate? <laughs> Wait, I, to Richard? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, I, like, you know, you watch a train wreck again and again and again. And I just, I don't enjoy that. I like the concept. It's just, it just feels like he's never getting anything right. Yeah, I mean, but he does grow the business like pretty well-ish, ish. I mean, I don't know. It's still like they said this is gonna be the last season. Is it? Yeah, this is a bummer. All right. Um, but he deals with VCs and he deals with a lot. Yeah, he I mean, wasn't he replaced as CEO? Didn't they bring One in that time, management yeah. guy? Yeah, that old dude with cool the triangle. Google-like office thing going on. Yeah, he had the triangle yeah. of uh, what, like manufacturability. Business. Oh, yeah, and the diamond like, or whatever. Diag- yeah, yeah, cut across diagonal. Oh, my God. Yeah, I guess. Oh, well, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, I've never been at the stage where they, like, try to replace you as ceo well, and i don't actually know anyone personally who's gotten replaced and that's as a CEO. that's something that we haven't gotten to at this point in our journey we have gone through yc um but haven't raised significant amounts of money so it, it seems like with vcs yeah. they're assuming or pg is assuming a board seat was transacted yeah. i feel so, like nowadays you got to be like over five million to be even negotiating board seats because like people at yc are doing four million on safes yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> safes are like the riskiest fucking thing in the world yeah. um, for the investor yeah for the investor it doesn't matter for the for the founders but that's just a yc life hack right yeah. There. uh yeah i don't know i think that would suck it would be nice to like meet someone oh wait we we talked with one person who almost got booted as a ceo was this one of the talks? Yeah, yeah. From the dinners? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like, that was an interesting experience. So I think in that case, wasn't it the two founders were on the board and an external VC tried to vote one of the founders off? Was that... Was that no, I no, I think it was just like, they... I don't know. Well, I guess those are off the record, but like... That's why we're not saying names. <laughs> yeah, here, yeah. Like, it was just like a dinner at YC. Nobody's gonna have any idea. Yeah, even the people in our batch. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, I think like in that scenario, it seemed like a lot of tension, like a shit ton of tension, constant stress, <laughs> dude. Constant stress, dude. It kind of felt like billions, where they're like plotting <laughs> against each other constantly. I seen that one. Yeah, well, like. Well, it's yeah, like it when kind you get of feels in, like they're just plotting against when you each get other into like well, like any TV show that has to deal with wealthy people, they're always enemies, adversaries. They're always plotting, right? Like <laughs> maybe us, they just like, have nothing to we're do. We're little engineers, like <laughs> going to work, you know, having some pizza for dinner, oh, and they're like considering all of, like the government spies and 
<laughs> secret agents after them and stuff. Oh, like, shit. It doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe if you have that much money, like you have to put a lot of effort into plotting. Because like they, they say, and I've seen um, a few articles that talk about how VCs have so many deals that go across their table. And the thing is, like, I think in one of the books I was reading, um, they were saying like a normal VC will probably close um, for his fund. Or her. Or her, or his or her fund, um, they'll probably close maybe one a month. Like, each partner will close, like, one a month. Mm-hmm. Which, like, if you think about it, like, fuck. Like, that's, like, not that many. And I guess you're going to board seats. Like, we talked to that one guy who's like, oh, you know, I got a board of directors meeting. Sorry, can't make that one. Yeah. So, like, maybe it's pretty busy. But maybe that's... they just have a lot of time to plot. And like stress and go super neurotic on everything that they're doing, as like opposed unfettered to unfettered neurosis. Dude, yeah, like neuroticism. Neuroticism. Neuroticism, like <laughs> to the max. Like they just have no idea. Maybe one day a VC will listen to this and he'll be like, "Do you, Do you think I'm a neurotic, <laughs> crazy person?" And I'll be like, "A little." Like <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're a VC, so I mean, yes. I mean, Paul Graham thinks you're an asshole. So yeah, like uh, Paul Graham. Yeah, I mean, yeah, actually, actually, quote someone else. Paul Graham quoted, <laughs> but on yeah. his essay, quoting Paul Graham. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I think board composition is interesting, and that's something that'd be cool to hear more about from maybe some other founders because we're fortunate that like there's you and i right on our board because <laughs> there's only four people in the company because there's three and a half people in the company, <laughs> yeah. right but even then it gives us an advantage um, because you require a lot more board seats to be given away before the founder majority is gone versus oh, like, yeah. if you were a sole founder you start off with one board seat. Well, you also always have an uneven board. So, like, yeah. you go from three to five. And so, like, the... like, so with one, do you have to go? So, like, say a VC comes in mm-hmm. and they get the second board seat at the same the time. The third board seat, right? Me and you have one, too. No, I'm saying if you're a sole founder. Oh, if you're a sole founder. That's, so, you and There's I like no solo saying. founders, though. We saw one post recently. She was looking for someone in the space, remember? Oh, yeah. Mm. Just, I was was saying we're fortunate because we have two. So we'll add one and go to three. I mean, they probably just give it to their CTO or something like that. Like, yeah. Right. But what if there isn't a CTO? Right? Because we saw this person was looking for like an independent advisor, an independent board member. Oh, yeah. And we know we were talking, the one we were talking about where the guy almost lost uh, his seat in the company, they had to bring in an independent. They had already brought in an independent board yeah, member. Yeah, yeah. And that's such a crapshoot because imagine if all of a sudden they didn't align. It's kind of stress. Again, it's just I don't know. Like it's so weird because I was reading one of these books and they were saying that like your board is really great and your board is at least in the perspective of a CEO is like yes the board is your boss as the CEO but then also like they're your sounding board so like. There's usually one or two founders, um, the CEO, then like a, a bunch of other people, either VCs or yeah. like technical or like influential or whatever. And I don't know. It seems like like from that perspective, it seems like they're always supposed to be good. But then every time I read about boards, they're like some like they're going to like fuck you somehow, especially when they come into a relationship with VCs. Like 
is anything written about VCs positive? <laughs> like, based on what we read, no. <laughs> well, no. I mean, I've read a lot yeah. on VCs, especially once we got into YC, and we're like, not really looking for VC money, more like angel, but like, VC money is like down the road, right? Once scale is uh, a serious concern, because um, they can just invest way more than like thirty angels can, right? Um, it just where's the good articles about VCs? Are they a necessary <laughs> evil? Like, <laughs> it doesn't nobody, even say that here. Nope, like, it doesn't say that. Yeah, here. I don't know. Call. But like, maybe even VCs don't love what they do. No, no, no. They got to. Like, it's so rough. I mean, it's different though because you get to exist in the startup world without having to create. You only judge. Yeah, that's like every capital manager, though. But I'm saying VCs specifically, right? Like getting into this space with startups. Yeah, I mean, I would. I think I was reading a Kushla article, and he was talking about how like. Uh, he doesn't have. I mean, he respects a lot of VCs, um, but many of them that haven't started companies are kind of like frustrating to deal with because they try to tell someone how to run a company who's never built a company. Uh, and the person who has never built a company is telling somebody else while they're building a how company. to run a company. Yeah, how to build and run a company, but it's like they never even done it. Like they they're might like, be like no in theory from reading books. Yeah, or they're like some Harvard MBA case like, studies. Yeah, or Dude, like all these case studies. That's how they've you researched it. so much, right? Um I know and so he doesn't like he doesn't like that and like all like or as i think he was saying that like a lot of the people we hire is like at least partners they've all started companies and stuff like that and so he feels that he has some right to tell them how to run a company um so well, i think then you have the kushla if you're listening <laughs> give me money <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so... But like, at least when you... Maybe he doesn't mean that about this. Oh, this was written... When did Kushla sell? I don't know. I don't know. Like, he, it was a... Uh, Sun Microsystems? But yeah, even if you don't know exactly how to run this specific company, at least you know how it'll be received when you try to tell somebody who is running a company how they should do their job. Because you were in that spot before. Yeah. Okay, so Sun got acquired in 2010. Hmm. Kushla must have left way be- like before then. He got he had to have. Whatever. Um so he had money. <laughs> he had money when this was written, but maybe he wasn't like a hardcore VC then. Well, in 2004 he founded Kushla Ventures. Okay, so 2004. So it was just before this essay was released. <sighs> so maybe that's it. Like Kushla wasn't like he didn't walk into his own stride before PG got to write this essay. <laughs> I feel like if he wrote the essay again, he would have a different opinion because this is also like after a lot of like the 2000 bubble, yeah. like 10, 2012, like all these like other micro VC that are started by like entrepreneurs and stuff like that. I'm sure he would probably change it because there's a lot of like super rich dudes that are running like micro VC firms mm-hmm. or even full on VC firms that know the entrepreneur struggle and like will have that same perspective. Like a flurry of companies started after the dot-com bubble and all those people made money in maybe the wake of, of the bubble. Well, it's also like a lot. Like, eventually. I mean, 
you already see how like there's a f- there's several like small VC funds that have come up in the past like five years, and that's all because of like the app bubble or not bubble the app like wave mm-hmm. that started like 2008 2012 yeah, like that. those four years they like just fucking killed it and then like since like 2000 like 14 15 like a lot of comp like a lot of vc firms have just popped up which is why valuations are like blowing up out of the sky yeah, yeah. we're gonna raise it like a 20 million valuation shout out to the future <laughs> just like uh well but then pg said you know maybe it's not a great idea maybe not but if you if you have to piece it together from a lot of investors, do you raise at a valuation and then just stop taking in money? Yeah. I mean, that's what and the guys like, at YC were you saying. Set, you, you set your valuation, but then maybe you just don't raise a shit ton of money from that. Right? Maybe you only raise a few million. Because I feel like what we keep hearing is don't take in money. A high valuation isn't so much the problem. It's just taking in a lot of money, isn't it? Well... One leads to the other, right? Because you would never take in a lot of money if you had a low valuation because that would mean you just like sell the rest of your company. Your yeah, you're like, oh, quiet. Own like, like 5% of the company I started. To, yeah. Like, struggle for every day. Yeah. And actually, when I was reading Master in the VC game, it talked about this a lot. Whereas, like, you know, you could raise at like a $50 million valuation and like eat like a $10 million investment. But if you raise it a $50 million valuation, you're not selling that company for a penny less than 200 million because like that will only give people like maybe a two or three to one especially like your late investors like mm-hmm. do they'll be like pretty pissed right so you kind of like fuck yourself if you go that big um and so you either have to like do really well or like ipo but then again like the small like app bullshit is small town you know <laughs> like huge town <laughs> yeah um yeah closing thoughts sean on how vcs suck so far yes <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a lot of experience oh, but God. what we do uh it's certainly not fun but i guess it doesn't have to be fun it's business on both sides and you can remember what people do um but ultimately you have to do what's best for your company because they're going to do what's best for them yeah I think that's uh, to say if someone came back around in the future, it wouldn't necessarily be uh, a non-starter. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I I think my you, you closing don't take remarks, it personally, I think. Yeah, I guess you just don't take it personally. I think in my closing remarks, I'd probably go with. Uh, goal is to. Not get fucked. Let's not get fucked. Yeah, I think that's the goal. And. Well, you don't raise too much money, right? You don't set your valuation too high. You keep control of the board. You keep equity in the company so that you're interested in growing it. And you try and stick to that scheme forever. Yeah, sounds about right. All right. Signing off, uh, Startup Essays. Let us know what you think. Until next time. Yeah.